Thanks for listening and welcome to Rewrite the Rules, the podcast that shows you there is no one right way to live your life. I'm your host, Alex Starr, and I want to expose you to new lifestyles, mindsets, and stories of adventure from around the globe. So pour your favorite drink, roll up a joint, and let's get going. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to part two of my talk with Donald Hoffman, professor of cognitive science at University of California, Irvine. Please excuse the echo and reverberation in this intro because I am in a new apartment for the next two weeks until I move into another place here in Austin. And I'm literally staring at two avocados, my hat, um, a multivitamin, a book, and then I have an air mattress in the corner. So there's nothing in here and I tried to open the door, um, but there's some echo. So bear with me. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We are talking still about reality and do we actually see it as it is. Uh, make sure and check out Donald Hoffman's TED Talk, Do We See Reality, which has over 3 million views. He also has a book out on Amazon called Visual Intelligence, and we are delving even deeper into these topics, talking about artificial intelligence, talking about hallucinogenic drugs, dreams, meditation. Is that the way to tap in to this actual reality? And uh, how to balance anxiety and relaxation, how to counter condition your limbic and emotional system to combat your anxiety, um, and really just more into what reality really fucking looks like if we're not seeing it for what it really is. Why have humans evolved to be biologically programmed to see reality, what only fits us for our reproduction as opposed to what it actually is? Uh, fascinating stuff, trippy stuff. If you partake in mind-altering substances, this is the one I would recommend to do that, although I will deny that I ever recommended that to anybody. Make sure and leave me a review. Uh, I love getting the feedback from you guys. AlexStar.com will have all the show notes that we talk about, links to his book, his TED Talk, etc. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure and check out every Tuesday a new show and enjoy number 33 with Donald Hoffman. Yeah, I find it interesting, you know, like I said, this concept is easy yet difficult to understand. From an easy standpoint, you know, you look at this world and I could be standing there and we both could be standing there and you could be colorblind. And right there off the bat, you are seeing reality in a completely different format than I am. Absolutely. Um, and then you think about whales or, you know, dolphins and their ability to use uh, um, sonar and... Um, um, and all these types of animals that can see UV light. And, and we've created these instruments. Um, it's like human intelligence has gone beyond itself, it seems, that we've created instruments to tap into the rest of reality. We've created machines that can hear the lower decibel whale songs. We've created infrared goggles to be able to see at night. Um, and it's almost like we're, we go beyond ourselves to enter the other realms of reality that you know, we would have no, I'd have no idea that would exist unless other humans had created those machines. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've got machines now that have told us that we, we used to think 20 years ago that we knew a hundred percent of what the universe is made of. Now we realize it's at most 4% with dark energy and dark matter, which we don't know what they are. 
Um, we, we know that that's basically our ignorance is 96% of the universe. And, and what we think is our knowledge is at most 4%. And, and, and wow. the arrow is in the wrong direction. Wow. So it's, you know, so we, we do know that uh, what our perceptual systems have evolved to show us is a tiny, tiny fraction. And even with our best instruments right now, we're, we're just at a position where we now, it's actually an amazing accomplishment. We, we now are confronted with the fact that we know very little. And we're, we're trying really hard to try to understand what it is that we don't, what we don't know. Hopefully, we have the conceptual system to solve the problem. It's you know that is also an evolutionary issue. It's not just perception, but it's our very conceptual system that has evolved by natural selection. And you know we we don't expect uh, monkeys to understand quantum mechanics, and we don't expect cockroaches to understand classical mechanics. Uh, and the, it's a certain and the reason is they there's no reason to think that evolution evolved the the brains of cockroaches to understand classical mechanics or evolved <laughs> right. the brains of monkeys to understand there's no reason for it to have done that why should evolution have endowed monkeys with the the concepts to understand superposition and entanglement why should they have those concepts and and so now turning to our own species it's a legitimate question to ask do we have the concepts necessary to understand reality as it is uh, i mean it's we are having a very very hard time thinking outside of the space-time box that evolution has given us. We're now smart enough to realize that space-time is doomed. So we're smart enough to recognize that our interface is just an interface. Right. Will we be smart enough? Will we have the right concepts to actually step outside the box that we've been given by evolution and see reality as it is? It's an open question. We don't know. We haven't done it yet. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, as a scientist, I'm betting that we can, mm -hmm. but you know, that's just, uh, I do that because to bet otherwise is to stop and I don't want to stop. No. I mean, I, I'm going to try to explore and see how far I can go. But all the while I, as, as you know, you know, thinking from an evolutionary point of view, I always acknowledge the possibility that I simply may not be equipped with the right concepts to get this job done. It may not be that we need new technology. Or a new theory, we may need a mutation. What do you we mean? We may by that? need. We well, um, you know, it, it, there's no way I, I could have the best lecturers in the world explain quantum mechanics to a macaque monkey. They're not going to get it. Right. The only way they're going to get it is if they have a few mutations <laughs> that that allow their brain to have the concepts needed. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of students in the quantum mechanics class feel like they need those mutations too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, I sure I sure could use that mutation right now. And eventually, we, who knows? We might be able to actually do that. Some type some of point. bioengineering. That's right. Yeah, instead of having to take the class, I can just have some kind of CRISPR technology that 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 gives me the mutations. Okay, now I've got. It's like in the Matrix. Oh. Now I know kung fu. Right, know, exactly. A download into your consciousness, exactly. Yeah, that's right. yeah, that that would be that would be a lot easier than going to class and taking notes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, but but the the I mean that that's speculative. But what's not speculative is that there's no way a macaque is going to understand quantum mechanics unless they had a mutation. Right, and it certainly is possible that there's no way that homo sapiens will understand the nature of reality that we're reaching with, our somewhat our limits with our own abilities. That, that's it's certainly possible. Do you think it's possible that we could create artificial intelligence that could get into that, that where I think we so. leave off, they could pick up. 
I think so. There's no reason for the conceptual systems of our AIs to be limited to our conceptual systems. You might say, well, but we program them, so surely they can't have concepts that we don't have, and surely they couldn't be smarter than us. And and that, that just completely misunderstands the nature of uh, these deep learning algorithms and artificial intelligence. Um, I've I myself have been involved in creating uh, learning algorithms that quickly beat me at the very game that I've trained them in. Wow. It's, 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 it's trivial. So it's, I mean, they, they have, you know, our computers will have far more memory, far more horsepower. They won't be making the same mistakes that, that we do. And, and they can literally evolve themselves and rewrite themselves. I mean, they're, they're, when the program is evolving itself and rewriting itself, at some point, the original writer of the program has no idea what's going on there. And eventually, um, I don't see any reason why AIs could go and explore with conceptual systems that, that no human can even understand. Wow. And so what do you think about um, Elon Musk's uh, recent statement about the simulation argument and, and yeah. that we are quite possibly in a simulation either from the future or from a different organism that is just creating this? Um, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, Nick Nick Bostrom also is quite famous for, for his ideas in that regard. And, you know, it, in some sense, when when Seth Lloyd proposes that the universe is really a quantum computer he, he's making a similar proposal that the fundamental reality is so, of course he's not saying necessarily that there's some hacker somewhere that's just, that's just you know coding us up as you know for their their fun and whims um i would say i certainly i, I can't rule it out um i personally don't find it terribly plausible but i but i certainly can't rule it out so yeah. i'm glad that nick bostrom and, and and others are are playing with that idea i think it's it, it's an idea that does need to be pursued it's you know each of us as scientists has to pick our we, there's only so much time and energy that you've got so you have to pick your your projects carefully <laughs> right, I, right. i'm glad someone's doing that it wouldn't be my project because i don't put that high a hope on it but but I'm glad that others are are pursuing that. I'm pursuing a mathematical model of consciousness, and I mean th that's where I am putting what what few chips I've got. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Great. Um, a little random question. Please, you can feel free to plead the fifth on this one if you like. But have you ever used hallucinogenic drugs to explore your own consciousness in the name of science? Of course. I I, I have not actually. Um, and are you curious I, about that and what those represent? Well, I've read quite a bit. So, you know, I, I teach a class about consciousness, and we actually do read the um, the experiences of 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 many explorers on those drugs. And so, I mean, I'm I'm given that a lot of people are doing this, and, and intelligent people have written their their experiences down. I have, you know, of course, paid attention because that's that's data that I want to to play with. Myself, I'm fairly conservative in those. I've never even smoked a cigarette, so you know, and I, I and I, um, I'll have a sip of my wife's wine, but but I don't even drink wine. I, I tend to try to take good care of myself. Sure. I'm, I'm trying to keep my brain in, in as good shape as possible so I can do my science. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so you know, I, but but I know many many people personally. Uh, some of them, you know, academics. Some of them, extremely bright, who have done extensive exploration with drugs. And so I, I listen very, very carefully. And I, and you know, one of the things that I do see is that they do open the doors of perception in many mm -hmm. cases. Mm -hmm. you know, even 
William James, uh, the very famous uh, early psychologist. Um, I think it was nitrous oxide that, that he used that uh, revealed to him that um, the world of perceptions that we have is a thin film. Uh, and when you can pull it away and you see other kinds of realities very, very easily. So absolutely. That fits in, by the way, very nicely with my interface idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. One of the reasons I bring it up is because when I first read your article in the Atlantic, I had smoked a little bit of marijuana beforehand and yes. it seemed to make, it made so much sense to me Yes. in that state of mind. I, it made, it was so vividly clear when I, and I remember reading the article and, and looking around, I was sitting on the couch and I looked around at the light coming in through the window and it, it was, it hit me like a ton of bricks and I was wow, like, Oh wow. my God, this is amazing. We're, there are these other um, points of reality that I can't see and I can almost feel them. Um, and then, of course, the next time I read the article, I was like, wait, where did where did that feeling go that I had the first time I read it? Yeah, now, now, I'm, so, now I'm not stoned. Yeah. So. yeah. So, but it was, yeah. Very, it was very interesting. It, 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 absolutely. I do meditate quite a bit. I meditate every day. And that, and that does also help loosen the grip of our, you know, assumptions mm-hmm. and preconceptions. Definitely. Yeah. Loosens me up so I can – I mean I – I actually, in part, do it on purpose so that I can think out of the box. Because you know, if space-time is doomed, you're trying to figure out what to replace it with. It's it's really, really now part of the creative work of science to be able to step outside of that box, but to do it in a rigorous, systematic fashion that you can turn into equations and, and test it. So you, you have this delicate balance of being creative, thinking out of the box, but then pulling it back down into something something real real mathematics right. real predictions and so forth that's 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 the delicate balance so so I'm letting others do the do the trips meditation <laughs> 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 excellent yeah and I think you're right that's so important um, from a practical mm-hmm. point of view because this can all get a little especially you if you're working on it all the time I can imagine it can get a little heavy um, maybe I don't even know sometimes depressing or um, disheartening that we are, you know, just, this is almost like you said, an interface and we're not seeing, you know, at the core, we're not seeing what we think we see. Um, and so mm-hmm. I guess from a practical point of view, would you suggest to people that want to construct their own reality, literally and figuratively to use meditation for that? Yes. Uh, I, no, I think meditation is a, a very, very helpful process, both for, you know, freeing your mind, but, but also simply for learning to relax. And, and that's, Another aspect, I think, of meditation is that in some sense, it's by letting go of your thoughts and, and just sitting in silence. Um, you're letting go of the, the whole evolutionarily evolved set of programs inside of you that are that are there to keep you alive. Um, and, and anxiety is part of that. I mean, anxiety is a, you know, was a necessary thing in our evolutionary past to keep mm-hmm. us alive. I, I saw some kind of National Geographic or some kind of documentary in which they were showing all you know, some footage of these monkeys up in the trees, all sort of looking pretty anxious, chattering and so forth, staying high up in the trees, except there was this one monkey that was down in the grass, and he was just lying there having a good old time in the sun, and a leopard comes through, and he's the monkey that got eaten. Right. So the, the monkey with the relaxation genes – is the one that disappeared, and those genes went with him, and and that's what evolution has done with us. It's those who were anxious enough that passed on their genes. If you were too 
relaxed, chances are that you had a better chance of not making it. Right. And so, and there's even some evidence, I believe, that, you know, it depends on where you are in the food chain. The higher up you are in the food chain, the more relaxed you can be, right? If you're if you're a lion, well, there, there's not much you need to really be worried about. Other lions, yes. But other than that, nothing. No, but if you're a rabbit, well, you know, you're on everybody's menu. So if you look at a rabbit, <laughs> their behavior certainly, and also small birds, right? You know, they are, uh, yeah, they are neurotic, aren't they? They, they, they <laughs> you man, they, you know, they, you see them on your bird feeder or on your know, hummingbird on, mm-hmm. you know, they, they take a little sip and they look around and then they take it. It's just like, you know, maybe they're not anxious, but their behavior is, is what I would, as a human being, sure. view as an anxious behavior. They can't just sit down and enjoy a meal. They have to take a little bite and then make sure they're not getting eaten, then take another bite and make sure they're not going to be eaten. And so there's so we've evolved. So it's it's very helpful to understand that anxiety evolved as part of the necessary adaptive mechanism we had to stay alive. But now that you know we're really not at the bottom, we're not low on the food chain anymore. And we have houses that we can be safe in and food is pretty easy to get. There's no – we don't need that anxiety. Right. And so meditation is a way of letting – you know, unplugging from all those evolutionary programs that, that evolved for good purposes to keep us alive but really aren't needed now. So we can unplug from them, unplug from the anxiety and counter-condition. This is, I, I view it as like classical conditioning. I'm, I'm counter-conditioning – my limbic system, my emotional system that has been wired up to be anxious. And I'm slowly and systematically letting it know in the only language it can understand, you don't have to be so anxious. It's not really necessary anymore. It was necessary during the Pleistocene. It's not necessary in 2016. You're using your consciousness to mentally override your your um, natural interface. Exactly right. Recognizing that it's not going to be one shot and you're done. The the limbic system is deep, deep in your brain. It doesn't understand language. It only understands uh, like Pavlovian conditioning, that kind of conditioning. Okay. So, so meditation, well, one way to think about meditation in terms of the relaxation is you're systematically pairing uh, – well, you're systematically setting yourself in a relaxation environment and, and allowing – the amygdala and the limbic system in general to slowly ratchet the, you know, de- recondition itself to lower the 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 level of anxiety. So it's not that anxiety is bad. It's, it, it was very very, um, you know, adaptive in the niche in which we grew, and now now it's not necessary. And it's you know, so I don't want the the stress and the pain that's associated with anxiety. Yeah. So I, I learned to start to counter condition it and let it go. Excellent, and it's it's all about. The balance, it all comes back to this balance of everything, doesn't it? That's right. Excellent. Exactly right. Excellent. Well, I'll just say one thing about this yeah. from the point of view of evolution is it yeah. takes the whole thing about guilt and and out, out of the whole picture. It's, it's not like, you know, why are you so anxious? You, you shouldn't be anxious. Absolutely not. It's not that. In fact, I should be anxious. I mean, I, I evolved. It was absolutely necessary. But now it's not necessary. So it's not a moral issue, you know, at all. It's simply now – now I don't really want to be anxious. Okay, right. so I'll choose to start to counter condition myself with some some meditation. There's no moral compunctions about it. I should do this or should do that. It's just that you know I'm tired of tired of the stress and so forth. So I'll start to counter condition it. It's not needed now. If I were out, you know, in a hunter gatherer situation again, where I was surrounded by predators and I'm no longer near the top of the food chain, 
different story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that kind of, you know, I may not even have time for meditation. Uh, I may be out there, you know, <laughs> it, it may be absolutely necessary to, to pull all the anxiety stops. And even if my life gets shortened in the long term, maybe I won't live to, you know, 80. I'll only live to, you know, 70 because of the anxiety that, you know, that, that does have a harms on you but without the anxiety i might not make it to 40 <laughs> right yeah I'll, I'll be eaten so it's 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 all a trade-off so there's it, it takes the moral and, and you out, out of it completely and the guilt and so forth and just puts in it helps you understand why we have the habits that we do they evolve that way and you know if they're not necessary and, and they're not comfortable then i'll take steps to make my, my life more comfortable and meditation is a good way to do that yeah you know that's a beautiful point don because i think a lot of people there is, there seems to be this anxiety epidemic going on and associated with that, like you said, is this guilt. Why do I feel like this? Why can I not get rid of it? And it's great to hear, you know, it said that it's just an inherent trait of humans. And what I really like about what you just said is, you know, you're saying we we can take control. We can do the mental overrides. You can say, you know what, in this situation, will I have food? I have a roof over my head. Yeah. I'm going to make the conscious decision to not let anxiety rule my life. If we were in thrown back into an apocalyptic, you know, world yeah. scene, then right. I would make a conscious decision to say, you know what, let's bring it back in. But I That's guess right. the core of it is, is that we're in control of our conscious decisions. And we are with one proviso. And that is that I knew you'd have one. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the, the one proviso is that, we can choose like people who meditate as 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 you well know know that uh, it's not a you know, it's not like getting an injection and now you're you know, you're immune to the problem right it's 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 like it's a daily process it's a daily and and the reason is that um the the brain is going to be slow to change these are deeply wired in mechanisms, and so it helps you to have compassion on yourself and to be patient with yourself to recognize <clears throat> that these the, the habit of anxiety evolved over hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of years. It's not going to disappear overnight with meditation. It, it, it can be helped to varying degrees um, with years of meditation. And that as well will vary from person to person because we're not all the same. We have different alleles related or genetics related to anxiety mm-hmm. and also different epigenetics. So some of us will be – will have an easier time of meditation. Others – will find that they make as much progress in 20 years as someone else makes in two years. And and that's just all part of the genetic, you know, deck that you were dealt with. And so learning to, is, is there's no good or bad here. It's we're all handed a, a different deck. There's no right or wrong. It's just learning to be patient with yourself and not beating yourself up um, if you're one of the slower ones. And, and I'm one of the slower ones on this. So <laughs> Now you should be a meditative teacher <laughs> and do a class at Irvine. <laughs> yeah, maybe at some point. Yeah, yeah. I probably do so much. <laughs> yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating, Don. I, I really appreciate um, your time and, and coming on here and explaining everything. Um, what books would you recommend to people, or, or what 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 type of um, media to get into, um, including your own, um, for people that are interested in these concepts of your evolutionary game theory and reality, um, as it seems to be. Well, I, I do have a TED Talk um, called Do We See Reality As It Is? And so you can just go to the TED website and you know if you type in Donald Hoffman and Do We See Reality As It Is, you, my, my talk will come up. I have a book called Visual Intelligence, 
how we create what we see. Yeah, I saw that on Amazon. It has fantastic reviews. Yeah, I saw that. It's got good reviews, and um, it has the idea of the interface in it. And I and I actually in that book, I actually show um, hundreds of images that ex- that show you how you create your interface. So it's it's a visual guide, so that people can actually see them creating space and time and objects and colors. Um, before their very eyes on the pages of the book. So so visual intelligence is and then um on my website, um if if you know if you just type Donald Hoffman, H O F F M A N and I think my, my homepage is one of the first pages that comes it is. up. Yeah. And, and if you go to my homepage, there's a link called Vita, which is my you know my curriculum Vita. And on that I have all of my papers and and videos listed with links to the free online sources so so if you want to find out more I, I would just go to my vita and you can see you know if you want mathematics i've got papers with this all in mathematics if you want popular videos um i've got popular videos including a link to my ted talk <clears throat> beautiful yeah beautiful well great Amazing thanks alex stuff. yeah thanks so much Don. i really appreciate it. it's been fascinating okay my pleasure look forward to seeing your podcast <laughs> okay thanks take okay. care okay bye-bye bye Thanks so much for listening, guys. I love all of you. Tune in next Tuesday. Subscribe. Leave me a review. Have a great fucking week. Much love. Toodaloo.